Until our desire is greater than our fear, it's hard to put ourselves out there. But if our desire is greater than our fear, then we're willing to put ourselves out there because our desire to achieve the thing that we want to achieve is more important than the approval associated with it. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author, speaker, and marketing guru, Michael Port. Now, Michael has written a handful of books like Book Yourself Solid, The Contrarian Effect, and the New York Times bestseller, The Think Big Manifesto. And my partner, John Ramstead, recently had a conversation with Michael, and here's that audio on this edition of Eternal Leadership. All right, today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, I'm so excited to introduce all of you to just somebody who's had a huge influence in my life, uh, Michael Port. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I was sharing with Michael as we got started here, a lot of you guys know my story, but as I was getting up and running, starting this coaching practice, and the only way to support my family financially was to actually develop this practice successfully. And it was a a coach of mine handed me your book, Michael, Book Yourself Solid. And I followed through this and I could just hear your spirit and your your genuineness and your authenticity about, it wasn't about creating sales and revenue. It was about how do you generally serve people from your heart, finding your unique value. And you just helped me pull all that out and develop uh, just uh, this great practice that I'm just so excited about. But I, I just want to just a personal thank you for everybody to hear for who you are and all the work that you've done, Michael. That means the world to me. Thank you so much. Thank well, you so much. You're welcome. Um, uh, my thank you is 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 deep, heartfelt. I mean that. And and people will understand, I'm sure, as we have this interview and they hear your where you're coming from in your heart, uh, why that so resonated with with who I am and what we're trying to accomplish. But I'd love to get started, like as we always do, and just take some time and just uh, share your story and your journey for people that aren't familiar with you yet. And um, and then I have some, I have pages of notes, so I know we're not going to get to all this here as we as we dive into some great questions. So, Yes, I grew up in New York City, and my parents are therapists, which I think was very influential. One of the things that I was taught early on was to think expansively and to be very tolerant. And those two things have really helped me as I've grown older because thinking expansively, of course, leads to thinking big. Mm -hmm. And thinking big uh, is what helps you feel capable of doing the things that you want to do. And I I would always rather have... I'd always rather feel capable than smart. Because I can I can feel smart, but if I don't feel capable of doing the things that I think of, well, then I might be stuck. Right. So that I really appreciated. And then, of course, tolerance is what allows me to appreciate other people and and understand that many people see the world in many different ways. And that's cool. That's okay. As long as we're not hurting anybody else, different views are wonderful. And I was studying psychology in college myself, but I I was not really engaged. I did not love watching the rat run around the wheel. Like that wasn't my thing. I was very active. I was very active. I was 
uh, I, I love people and I just didn't get the science thing. So I took an acting class because everybody has to take a fine arts class. And I thought it was fun. The teacher said, you know, you should do more of this. I thought, yeah, but what are you going to do with this for a living? I'm not going to, you know. He said, just do a little more. So I auditioned for a play and it was The Grapes of Wrath. And it was a 50 person cast in a thousand seat theater. And I got the lead. Did you really? Yes, playing Tom Joad. And my father came and saw it. And he said, you know what, Michael? I think this is what you should do. Because I think given your personality, you'll learn more about people doing this than you will studying psychology in a classroom. I so said, what, I'm in. So what was it. it about acting and, and being on that stage that allowed you to learn more about people? Well, when, you, when you're developing a character you need to step into that character's shoes to see the world the way they see the world mm. and to connect with people in the way that they connect with people. And, and great actors are very honest people. It, great, great acting requires that you're open and that you let in other people because great performance is not about manufactured behavior. Mm-hmm. Great performance is about authentic behavior in a manufactured environment. And it's one of the reasons that my latest book is about performance in all aspects of your life. I wrote Steal the Show, and now, you know, it's my sixth book. I thought I was done. I said, yeah. punch me in the eye if, if I say I'm going to write another book. Uh, so I've got a black eye. And, and... I wanted to write this because I realized over the years, all of my accomplishments have been greatly influenced by the skills that I learned as an actor. And the mindset that a performer has is applicable to so many different aspects of life. And so let's look at some of these manufactured environments for a second. A job interview is a very manufactured environment. Yep. A negotiation, a sales meeting, even meeting your future in-laws for the first time is a manufactured environment. And giving a speech in front of a room full of people sitting in a chair waiting for you to wow them is a manufactured environment. So, so many of these situations that we find ourselves in uh, cause stress and anxiety. And we want to produce a great outcome. Well, what's the actor taught to do? The actor's taught to produce a particular outcome with ease in front of other people. And I realized that what I know about acting, because then after college, I went and got a master's in acting, and then I worked professionally. I was in shows like Sex and the City and Third Watch, All My Children, Law and Order. I was in films like The Pelican Brief, Down to Earth, The Believer, Last Call. And then I did hundreds of voiceovers for, for uh, brands like AT&T and Coors and... Uh, Pizza Hut, MTV, Braun. It just, that was my bread and butter. Yeah. And, and it's been realized. I see it over and over again. When someone learns how to think like a performer and the principles that a performer adheres to and then masters the craft of public speaking, then they shine in all of these different situations. Because, of course, all, pe all speaking is public speaking. 
anytime you open your mouth and words come out, you're speaking in public. And what you say and the way you say it influences the future of your life and influences other people because what we say often has a great impact on others. It can be positive or it can be negative and hopefully it's positive. And what we want to do is we want to get people to think differently and to feel differently and to do things differently all in service of them. So public speaking can never be about you. It's always about them. Anytime it becomes about you, you lose the service aspect and you are less likely to deliver on your promises to an audience. And so if we go back to these manufactured situations, think about life for a second. Our life is made up of lots of these high stakes situations. A big job at an interview, that's a high stakes situation. Uh, you know, a big uh, round of financing or funding rather with, you know, uh, a whole bunch of venture capitalists, that's a big high stakes situation. And we can think of lots of different high stakes situations that we've been in. And maybe we have one coming up that we're thinking about. Yeah, it could be that and, crucial conversation with your children or your wife or your spouse, your partner. Some exactly. of those are have just as much consequence and weight as whether I close a deal or get funding. Absolutely. Yes, 100%. And the outcome of those performances, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. determine the quality of your life. The outcome of those high-stakes situations determines the quality of your life. And if you can perform during those high-stakes situations, well, then you do quite well in life. And if you have trouble, if you fall flat or you run and hide when the pressure's on, then it's hard to play a big game. So it's interesting because people will sometimes push back on this idea. They say, when I'm talking to my kids, that's not a performance. Well, have you ever been really frustrated with your kids? You wanted to throw them out the window, but you didn't. I think my that, kids might categorize it as a performance a few times <laughs> and not and give it a good ranking either. No, but that's the thing is that when you control yourself, yeah. that's a type of performance because you have an objective. And if you're trying to achieve that objective, you are choosing different strategies and tactics to get to that result. And if you are a person who is in service of others, then it's wonderful to have objectives because those objectives and the agenda that you bring to the different situations that you're in will hopefully have a positive effect on other people. If your agenda is just about yourself, then maybe not. So I love when people tell me what their agenda is because we all have them. But if we hide them and pretend we don't, well, you know, then we, we live in a gray space and the relationships that we develop with people aren't really connected. And performing ultimately is about connecting with others, whether it's one person across the table or 1,000 people in a theater. Well, you talked earlier about this, you know, going into these crucial conversations, these high stakes conversation, the anxiety that we feel. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from this, this conflict between this fear of failure and also this deep desire need to succeed and mm -hmm. and we're we're wrestling with both of those in our head and mm -hmm. it, that's what creates the the stress the anxiety so you know as people you've trained so many people to do this well as they're wrestling with that going into these conversations what's the what's the mindset that they need to shift to that you found is really helpful 
Yeah. So in Steal the Show, I call that the performer's paradox. It's two intentions. One is to go do big things in the world, which requires making big choices, taking risks, putting yourself out there. And then the other intention is not to screw up. Right. Not to make any mistakes, not to get laughed at, not to be rejected. Well, those two intentions get in the way of each other. They just cancel each other out. And until our desire is greater than our fear, it's hard to put ourselves out there. But if our desire is greater than our fear, then we're willing to put ourselves out there because our desire to achieve the thing that we want to achieve is more important than the approval associated with it. And so we can ask ourselves, well, what's more important, approval or results? Approval or results? Most people, the knee-jerk reaction is to say approval, of course. I mean, results, of course, of course, I want results. But if you think about it, if we look at a lot of our choices, a lot of the things that we do, a lot of the things that we say, we're often looking for approval. Mm -hmm. And approval, looking for approval produces a lot of anxiety. So it's, it's been said by many people that public speaking is the number one fear. I don't know where this came from. You know, it's one of those supposed studies. You think I, it's I a self-perpetuating myth? It is exactly that, a self-perpetuating myth. Because if, you know, if you had really had two choices, either die right now or give a speech, I mean, really die, like actually dead, I think you'd give the speech. Yeah, I'd give the speech. Yeah, most people would give the speech. And you were near death. So you know how how important life is. So mm -hmm. it's not even a question for you. I'd give the speech. And most people at the end of the day would do it. So why are we so afraid? Because the, the, the more that you put your views out in the world, the more chance there is that somebody will reject them. And we don't want that. So we play it safe. But there are two kinds of critics. There are the critics out in the cheap seats, the ones who like to push other people down to lift themselves up. And then there are the critics in your head. And those are the voices of judgment. And those are your voices. They're maybe sometimes your parents' voices. You know, they're, they're the, the negative thoughts that you've internalized. And when those are very loud, then we hear the critics out in the cheap seats even more. But when the voices in our head are, are silenced, then you know, we may know the critics are out there, but it doesn't matter so much. We don't hear them very loudly. And so part of our job as performers is to understand that when we are in service of others, we are we don't need to judge ourselves so harshly. We can just focus on that. One of my clients called me up because she had an opportunity to be interviewed on one of the big broadcast network morning shows. Biggest opportunity she'd ever had. And she was freaking out. She's like, Michael, what am, what am I, what am I going to do? I really want to be good. I said, well, you can't be good. She said, what do you mean? <laughs> what said, am I no, paying you for, Michael? <laughs> I, said, it's not, I said, it's not that you're not good, but you can't go into that kind of high-stakes situation trying to be good. You can go in there with an objective, and that objective delivers on a promise to the audience. 
And then your job is to deliver on that promise, to be helpful. That's it. And if you are helpful, you'll more than likely be perceived as good for the people that you helped. But that's, that's your job, not to try to be good, because then you're acting at being good, and that's about you being good rather than the people that you're serving. Well, you know, something, Michael, that's just a theme through all your books, through Book Yourself, um, Solid, and, you know, the Think Big Manifesto, and just everything you've written, it's just, uh, here's what I've gotten about it, uh, and I, I'd love to know your, you know, the heart of where this comes from. It's just that each of us individually, we have a unique value, and if we can connect and understand, you know, what do we stand for, mm-hmm. what, what do we want to accomplish, Uh, that we, that, you know, there is something that we have that can serve others, a result others will have in working with us and being around us and being part of our lives. That's going to enhance their lives Mm -hmm. And your, and it seems like everything you you do and you put out there is says, how do we take that and manifest that and not only into our lives, but in the lives of those around us, uh, you know, and so as people are thinking about that, uh, right. Uh, you know, something that was on my heart recovering from this accident was just this notion that I kept coming back to in the Bible about discipling nations. Mm. And this was so big and so overwhelming. I had no idea where to start. And you said something, I can't remember which book, but it was, you know what, it starts personal, it goes local, and then it goes global. And that helped set me on a path where I'm moving in that direction. I got to tell you, it's been a blast. And I'd love for you to share some things, Michael, for people that are maybe just right there, they're trying to figure out what they stand for, what what they want to be known for, what what they could bring out into the world, and really, how do they have the courage to to a figure out what it takes to do that, and then the the discipline and the tools to be able to just do that on a consistent basis. Sure. So, when you think about what you stand for, a lot of different things will come to mind. So, you might stand for love. You might stand for respect, might stand for decency, might stand for honesty, might stand for faith. There's a lot of different things that one person may stand for. And that's beautiful. If we want to build a brand identity around one of those things, it helps to choose to put one of those front and center. And you won't be excluding any of the others. You know, it's not like you're saying, well, I'm going to stand for thinking big, and that means I don't stand for anything else. It's not at the cost of your other values. And it doesn't have to be different to make a difference. It doesn't have to be different to make a difference. What do you mean by that? Well, let's say when you, okay, so this is, this is relevant to what you stand for. This is relevant to your big idea in a speech you give. It's, it's your big idea doesn't need to be different to make a difference. It just needs to be true for you and the people you serve. For example, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech mm-hmm. is one of the most famous speeches of all time. And the big idea in that speech is that all men and women are created equal. Well, it was a big idea 
Why? Well, it was a big idea because it wasn't realized in our country. It's not how our world actually worked. But was it a different idea? No. That idea is actually in the Constitution. The framework of our whole country is based on that concept. So he's not saying this is different. He's saying, here's the problem, guys. It's not real. This is not how the world actually looks. So you see how his idea didn't have to be intellectually earth-shattering. It needed to be true for him and for the people that he served. And then it's one person at a time who then influences somebody else, who then influences somebody else. And then, you know, you start to move. You start to grow. And that's what I love about it is that, you know, we don't have to worry about being so different. Our, our, our uniqueness, our individualism comes from full self-expression. And full self-expression is a result of self-understanding. Because full self-expression without self-understanding can simply be your desire to tell everybody else what you think. Self-understanding is a real clear, clear picture of why you believe what you believe. And as a result, you're much more confident in your beliefs. And you don't feel the need to push them or prove them, but instead you connect with others so that you can transfer your belief through those people, through the connection that you're making with them. And it demonstrates a significant amount of confidence. And that's what I think thinking big does for you. It increases your confidence. The way that you feel about yourself influences the way that other people feel about you. And that's why when you are developing yourself as a professional, mm -hmm. as a performer, a lot of our job is to develop and increase our confidence. Because the more confident we are, the easier it is to develop skill. Because skill is not that hard. I mean, you know, it takes time to master something, many hours. But it's just nose to the grindstone, do the work. You know, find a good teacher who's doing what you want to do and identify the things that you need to do to develop that skill and you do it. But why do we quit something? We quit because it gets too hard. Well, what does that mean? It means we stop believing in ourselves. That's what it meant. Or also, do people quit because they hadn't really connected to you know where they're going and are they willing to put in the work to get there? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, the challenges come along, and I'm like, okay, I I want to I want to get in shape and I want to I want to run a marathon. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, I'm two months into working out, and you know what? Do I really want to run a marathon that bad? Yeah. But I, I, or you know, the other one that I'm thinking of, you know, like like what I stand for, what I'm doing is to help people create the life that they were meant to live. Mm -hmm. Now, now that is not a new idea, right? Uh, but I, but have it's found a big that, idea. But it's a big idea, and I found that in my life. 
But, you know, when I first started doing this, uh, I don't know if imposter syndrome, right? I'm, you know, it, it comes into the back of your mind. Who am I to go help a leader, a CEO of a company, somebody who's running a ministry, even with all my experience in life, to really – uh, be a voice of authority in their life to help them find something. Maybe I'm still on the journey to find myself. And so you, you do have all these different competing factors that are coming into your life. But what I have found is what you're talking about. As as I surrounded myself with community and I equipped myself and I read books and I took courses and I practiced it, I failed. I succeeded in different areas. All of a sudden, my small game got a little bit bigger and it got a little bit bigger, but I was continually, like John Maxwell says, I, I, I like to think of myself as continually failing forward. Yeah. So um, that's probably why I've gotten you know where I have because I failed so much, but sure. that and is I, a mindset. And I think that what I've found over the years is the level of success that I've achieved is has been consistently proportionate to the amount of responsibility that I can handle. Mm, say, I, say a little bit more about that. Sure. I like that. So when you are leading a company, you mm -hmm. have a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people pulling on you in different directions, a lot of needs that must be met. And a lot of difficult situations to resolve, a lot of problems to resolve. Well, that can get overwhelming. It's intense. You have to make a lot of decisions as a leader. And these decisions affect a lot of people. As a parent, you have to make a lot of decisions that affect your family. And they're not easy. You know, as a parent, it's much easier to say, sure, you can play video games all day, no problem. Mm -hmm. That's much easier than saying, no, no, you've got to go do your chores. You've got an hour of leaves to rake. No, I don't want to. Yes, you, well, you're going to do it. So who wants to have that conversation? Nobody wants to have that conversation. You, the easy thing is, that's what we always tell the kids, you know, you know, the easy thing as a parent is just to say, yeah, you can stay in your room all day and play video games. That's this. We don't want to have this difficult conversation, but we will have it because we know that this is, you know, what's important. So all of these things, they add up. And the more responsibility we can handle, the more we can handle at one time, the, the more that we can do. And so part of, part of my job is to try to increase my ability to handle a lot of different things and difficult situations. So very often our students, our mentoring students will say, oh, you know, I didn't get the thing done that I said I was going to get done because life got in the way, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and I get that, but I don't think life can get in the way. I think life is the way. There is no other way. That's an important point. So it's not like you live one life at the office and another life at home and then another life with your buddies. It, it, it's all one life. And when we compartmentalize, then we may lose the through line, the theme that supports all of our different endeavors. And so the thing that, that you want to do, what you stand for for your clients is the same thing that you stand for for your family and for your friends and for your peers. It's not different. You don't shut that off when you leave the office. And what's beautiful about the choice you make to stand for something significant is that now you're accountable to it. You know, I can't show up somewhere and be petty. 
I can't be small. If my, if my reputation is based on being the guy to call when you're tired of thinking small, I can't show up and put people down. I can't show up and, because look, every once in a while, you know, I get a little frustrated and I'm like, what, what? I, that, I can't believe that person's doing what they're doing. You know, I, I, those thoughts go through my head or I don't like that work or, you know, whatever it is. But I can't entertain those kind of thoughts. I have to say that is small thinking because that's the, that's what I've chosen to base my reputation on. And I think ultimately, I think you got two choices. I think you can be a performer or you can be a critic, but I don't think you can be both. Mm, it's like that book, Giver or Taker. You're one or the other. Yeah, one or the other. Mm-hmm. So I, I ask my colleagues in this business, people who are very well established, and I, I've been doing this since I started working on the intellectual property for Steal the Show. And I, I ask them, have you ever written a, a negative review about a book on Amazon or, or a scathing review of a podcast? And to the letter, not one of them has said yes. They say, why would I do that? I don't have time to go around putting people down. I'm making stuff. If I like it, I'll say it's great. I love it. If I don't resonate with it, I don't. So, so they're performers. They're making stuff happen. But if you spend your, one of the things I ask people to do uh, often in our mentoring program is to go back and look at their Facebook profile for the last 12 months and to do a little analysis to assess how many critical posts or comments they've made on Facebook. Interesting point. I don't think I have one, honestly. There you go. That's my point. It's not my mindset. I want to build people up. Or if it's something that's worked that doesn't resonate with me, I don't like it. I just push it to the side. Yeah. So that's what, that's the thing. It's like, I, I, a couple of years ago, I made the choice not to say I don't like something. I'll say, Oh, I like that. I love that. I really love it. But I won't say I don't like it. I'll say I don't resonate with it. Now this is not, of course, uh, we're just talking about, uh, books or art or a person's personality or, you know, clothing or whatever. This is not, um, not, a, not not the big things. It's you know I wouldn't say oh I don't resonate with what happened in Paris. You know this is this is entirely different than that. Those are really serious issues that need to be uh, dealt with. Because just because I don't what 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 what's what's why shouldn't I mean this idea of liking not liking liking not liking it's this judgmental way of looking at things. And if you want to be a creator, it's hard to create when you are also so judgmental because if you are very judgmental then you will hold yourself back because you're either going to judge yourself in the same way that you're criticizing and judging others or you will know oh other people are going to come and criticize me yeah i think i think you're absolutely right because if you are in that mode of judging others i think that is how you're going to be judged and if you know you're that person that talks that way about people that you judge others, now you're standing up in front of an audience and you, you know what you're projecting onto them? Exactly how you treat others. So you're scared to death because you you know that you know half of these people are probably going to go write you a scathing review about how horrible you were. That's right. 
or, you know, it's something that, you know, that we teach our kids that, you know, in all these different areas of your life, in your relationships in the family, uh, your academics at school, the choices you make when you're not at home and athletics, you can't be, let's say, excellent. My son's a hockey player. You can't be excellent in the work that you're putting in as a hockey player and be totally, you know, have mediocrity in some other part of your life because everything is all going to go to that lowest point in your life. Mm. And you have to be consistent. You'll never rise above the level of mediocrity in your life unless you address all those places. And um, I love you know, that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean that that is the that's the you know you know they say a rising tide lifts all boats, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. High tide in our lives is that area of our life that has um, the least amount of excellence or positivity or discipline, or we have the work because no matter how hard you try, that's going to bleed into others' areas of your life because you know we're humans. We it it comes through. If I'm talking negative about you. Right uh, to a coworker, and then you walk into the room. I'm like, "Hey, Michael!" You immediately know yeah. there is something off here, and you can just feel it in your spirit. Yeah. And and it, it doesn't matter if that was just in the room, or I talked about you negative at home, and now I see you at work. But it flows through everything that we do. So as we connect this to this whole concept of a big idea, I love your thoughts. Mm. You know, there's people that that want to do it; they're committed. Um, and I love the phrase you use, right? Um, I can't promise, but I'll try. Hmm. They're in that mode uh, that they'll try. Mm-hmm. What is the bridge that helps connect people to the the phrase, that is important to me and I'll do what it takes? Mm. So when we say we'll try, it's either because we know we're obligated to do the thing and we don't really want to. Mm-hmm. So we just want to spread it out as far as we can, you know, until the last second. Yeah. Uh, you know, we feel worse about ourselves often than people feel about us when we do that. Or we will say we try because we don't know if we can fulfill. So is some of the self-doubt coming in. I think so. One of the rules that we have in our company is that we do not get off the phone out of a meeting without saying when we will have something done and putting it in the book. So we don't, you know, uh, if I ask my assistant, hey, you know, uh, could you do this particular thing? She'll say, yes, I can do that by this time on this day. She doesn't say, sure, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. Same thing. I'll do the same thing. I'll ask, can you do this by this time on this day? And if she says she can, great. If she says, "Mm, nope, given my other commitments, I need to do that the following day at this time. And this is part of our culture. And as a result, we all know where we stand with each other because we all rely on each other. The work I do today influences the work she does tomorrow and vice versa. So that's very, very important. Making commitments and fulfilling them is a big part uh, of of reputation building and getting things done. You mentioned something earlier I wanted to touch on that it really inspired me. You talked about excellence in all aspects of your life. And I think that's really cool. It's the difference between, say, if you have, you know, if I have a, I have a film studio in the house here. This oh, is the- That I'm is the audio, cool. Yeah, I'm in the audio <laughs> studio now and I have a film studio on one of the other floors. And 
And I keep the whole film studio neat. Typically, a film studio, what you see with the camera looks dramatically different than what's behind the camera. But what I do is I make it look the same. Because I really, I really subscribe to the broken windows theory. So the broken windows theory suggests that if there is, there's a neighborhood that is a nice neighborhood and all of a sudden there's a business that closes down in that neighborhood, but nobody moves in to start another business in that store one day. And then that's like that for say six months or a year. Some kid, kids walk by it all the time and then they realize it's been there for a long time. So one day some kid throws a rock through the window. Okay. So now there's a broken window. Well, the window doesn't get fixed because nobody's managing that property. So then people walk by and they go, oh, well, there's a vacant property with a broken window. I guess I can throw my trash over here. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. And then somebody walks by and go, oh, vacant property, broken window, trash on the ground. I guess I can, you know, flip somebody the bird if they, you know, cut me off. See, so it, this, you know, you leave the window broken. Next thing you know, uh, things start falling apart. It's the same thing in the house, which is why when you use a dish, I want the dish put in the dishwasher. Because once there's one dish in the in the sink, then one of the other kids goes, oh, there's this dish in the sink. I'll put my dish in the sink. Then I come by and go, oh, there's a bunch of dishes in the sink. I'll just put my dish in the sink. Next thing you know, there's dishes piled up. And they're not even rinsed off or scraped. And now you got to scrub the heck out of them to be able to put them in the dishwasher. Exactly right. You're creating so, extra work for everybody. And and waste. And I don't like waste. So, so we, one of the, you know, I work with the kids around this a lot because- uh, and look, they're kids. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a taskmaster. You know, their room gets messy. It's messy. You know, I got two boys, at, you know, 11 and 12 years old. They're going to be messy. But this idea that you don't leave broken windows around. If it's broken, fix it. If, you know, your job is to clean it up, clean it up. And as a result, we have a nice, neat house that's not weird and compulsively neat that nobody can touch anything. We use it. We love it. We mess it up. We clean it up. And then feel much more comfortable because I think that if you live in this messy environment, if your closet's messy, then all of a sudden you start wearing clothes that aren't quite as taken care of. And then if your clothes don't look as good, well, then you don't feel that good when you are, you know, sitting in front of the computer. You know, there's just, it just, you know, it exacerbates it. it you can spiral out of control, I think. When well, I you, think the point is too, you can't disconnect, let's say that messiness or the broken window in your life with trying to be great in some other part of your life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're just deceiving yourself if you actually think that that is true. Right. It's compartmentalizing. Compartmentalizing is usually what gets people in trouble. Yeah. So, you know, as we wrap up here, Michael, how can people find out more about you? I mean, I've recommend, I mean, I would tell people I'm in your mentoring program. Your book, Book Yourself Solid, uh, has just made a huge difference in my life. Uh, as I'm getting into public speaking, steal the show. I've read uh, the Think Big Manifesto. Uh, there is so much that you have to offer that I'd love our audience to be plugging in and just uh, just seeing some of the resources, the teaching, the training that you do. How do they find that? Sure. Michaelport.com is a great place to go because at Michaelport.com, you can get to all the different things we do. So if you want to get more clients for your business, then you can hop on over to bookyourselfsolid.com from Michaelport.com. If you want to learn public speaking, then you can go to heroic publicspeaking.com and you can get there from michaelboard.com. 
Uh, and there's a number of other things we do as well. But in terms of reading, for those who like to read, if you want to become a better public speaker, then Steal the Show is something you should buy right away. Uh, it's on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, uh, and it's uh, it's getting really great reviews. And of course, that makes me happy because I want approval. And <laughs> and uh, and then if you want to get clients, Book Yourself Solid is is definitely the book to read. And I've written some other ones too, but let's just start with those. Let's start Sometimes, with you know, too many choices. You're like, I don't know what to do. So you just, you know, this one, this one, that's it. Well, I could talk to you for hours, but as we're wrapping up here and if people have been, you know, they're in, they're working out, they're driving in their cars, they're living life, but they listened in on this conversation. What are just some final thoughts, Michael, you'd like to leave with people? Know thyself. Mm. Know thyself. And be okay with all parts of yourself, the parts that are beautiful, because sometimes we don't honor the parts that are beautiful and wonderful and our talents, and we write them off as if they're, you know, nothing special, and the parts of yourself that you think are kind of ugly, you know, that you you either aren't proud of or you think you're not, you know, good at, you know, those are those are part of you too, and and I think the only way to grow and to change is to love all parts of ourselves. Uh, and work just a little bit every day uh, on improvement. And that's really the best we can do. Well, I'd love to wrap up too with something you you opened with about what you got from your your mom and dad growing up, that you were capable. And I'd love for people just to acknowledge the greatness that was sowed into them when they were born and they're created. And there's so much more potential out there. They're capable of so much more then you probably even know and just encourage people to get around people like Michael, read these kind of books, get around associations of people that can just allow you to just rise to that level in your life that you know is out there and maybe you haven't gotten it, if you haven't gotten there yet, you're on this journey, uh, but just know that there's so much more in the tank than you're even aware of and just have the courage and just go have fun just tapping into that and finding out about it. So, Michael, thank you so much for your time. This has just been, for me personally, just uh, absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this interview since we uh, since we booked it, and I just want to really uh, sincerely just thank you for who you are and for your time. It's my pleasure. I never take these opportunities for granted, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to be in service. Oh, my pleasure, and thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Michael, his books, and his website, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 106. That's eternalleadership.com slash 106. Next time on Eternal Leadership, we're joined by entrepreneur, coach, and consultant, John Murphy. You know, sometimes you go in and you might be talking to CEO and, you know, and I've heard the comment, you know, oh, I, you know, I really don't like the kind of the, the behavior and the culture in the, you know, done through the business. I'm not happy the way that's going. And I would always say, if you don't like that, the first place you look is in the mirror um, because it's coming from here. It's coming from the top. So you may not like that comment. And <clears throat> sometimes it's not a very, you know, popular comment to make. But I said, that is absolutely the truth. I love his accent, and the interview is even better. As you can hear, he tells it like he sees it. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.